Outstanding, outstanding. So uh, I was at the grocery store uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I won't name the grocery store, uh, but I worked there for eight years, and so if you've heard me before, you know where I was. And so uh, we're, we're coming around the corner, uh, and in the, the kind of that back aisle, you know, that, that has the meats and stuff in it, there was a massive display, I mean a massive display, surrounded by RC Cola, and piled up in the middle of the RC Cola was what? Moon pies. <laughs> the most moon pies I've ever seen in my life. And I was overcome with this sudden urge to, I've got to have a moon pie. And so I looked at my wife, and she was like, go, get, get you some moon pies, you know. <laughs> she's, very, she's gracious, and she could be an enabler, but I, I went and <laughs> I got my moon pies. I actually got two of them. I put them in the cart. And as you know, it, it, you, you kind of, uh, uh, you forget about things after you kind of, or they're out of sight, they're out of mind. So we got home, we put them in our, our uh, sweet snack cabinet, and yes, we have a sweet snack cabinet. And I opened up the cabinet later on that week, and I saw my moon pie sitting in there, and I thought, oh man, I'm going to have my moon pie. And I went to town on that thing. It was good. Not so much. It was like the most disappointing experience of my life. I was like... Is, did I do it wrong? Like, is there something I didn't do right with my moon pie? Maybe I should have gotten the RC Cola to go with it. There was something wrong with my moon pie. And then I turned it over and looked at the packaging. One moon pie is not one serving, heads up. It's several servings, apparently. And so all those calories, uh, I was like, so it wasn't even good. And I ate all these calories, and it wasn't satisfying. And I was just really, really disappointed in my moon pie. And I think that there's a lot of things in our lives that when we see them, we're like, man, if I could just have that, I'm going to be satisfied. Like, that's exactly what I want right now. It's going to taste so good. It's going to be so good. And then we get it, and we're like, that was, that was okay. Is that it? Is that all that was supposed to be? We find things that, that we think is going to scratch an itch, and it doesn't really do it. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we might find some kind of satisfaction in the life that we live here on earth. We're, we're doing this series on the Beatitudes, and it, it's really probably better rather than calling them Beatitudes, happy statements. They're, they're happy statements from Jesus. If you want to be happy, you're going to do these things. And where we're at today is Matthew 5, 6, and it is happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. And so we're going to talk about what it's like to be satisfied, how we might find it, how it might come upon us, and how we might actually enjoy it. So we're in Matthew 5, 6. We're going to look at our diet. We're going to look at the things that we consume and maybe what we need to change, how we can't maybe get some of the things that we need, and then how Christ provides that for us. So first, we need to eat better. We need to eat better. So hunger and thirst in our Western culture is a lot uh, is, is more different, I guess, than it is in other places, and it is different than it was in Jesus' day. So in our world, when we talk about hunger and thirst, which you're, we're talking about all morning, so you're going to be hungry by the time this is over. Just be prepared. When I have hunger pangs in my office at work, I sit there and think to myself, oh man, where am I going today? It's probably Chick-fil-A, but that's where I, I'm going somewhere. And, and you get excited, you get, you get pumped about the fact that I'm hungry. Or if I'm thirsty, I think to myself, oh my gosh, just a short distance away is my refrigerator. And inside that refrigerator is an ice-cold Diet Coke. And I'm just going to pop that, and it's going to be amazing. In other parts of the world, 
And in Jesus' day, in the ancient world, uh, hunger and thirst was not looked at with quite so much joy. In fact, hunger and thirst was a reminder that you don't have access to some of the things that you need to survive. That there's not that much distance between you and certain death. In our world, if you are hungry, you have a cupboard full of things to eat. In their world, not so much. In fact, throughout human history, and even predominantly in our world today, hunger might actually be the more common feeling than feeling satisfied and being able to satisfy yourself. Thirst is another issue, and and because Jesus says hunger and thirst, I'm really talking about hunger and thirst, but I'm probably only going to mention hunger, but thirst is a critical issue in our world today. I read this week that 780 million people don't have access to clean water. It's one of the reasons why we support uh, the Last Well Ministries with our church, with some of your tithes and offerings, your gifts, go towards that ministry to help dig wells and to help people have access to clean water. So when Jesus says, happy are the hungry and thirsty, that culture wouldn't have thought like we do. We think, hmm, go get some tacos or something. They would have thought, maybe, maybe some bread, I guess. Maybe we've got enough to make some bread. Hunger and thirst are indications that something is wrong and that your body needs something. And the difference between our modern Western world and many other civilizations throughout history and even in our modern day is that we have access to things that are going to fill us up and many places don't. But despite that difference, we do have one thing in common. Hunger and thirst drive quite a bit of what we do and what we decide to do throughout our day. So many of you will wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to think to yourself, I don't want to go to work, or I don't want to go to school, right? That's a common feeling. And some of you will maybe be like, I'm just going to text my boss and be like, I'm sick. That's lying, by the way. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, but whatever. (laughs) You may take a vacation day or a personal day, right? But if you don't show up to work one day, it's not that big of a deal, probably. But if you don't show up to work several days in a row, you lose your job, right? That's typically what happens. So hunger and thirst, even though we have quite a bit of distance in in our culture, usually, from actual starvation, we're still driven to go and do maybe even something we don't want to do because we know at some point we're going to be hungry and thirsty. But in our world, our needs are typically pretty well met, right? Our needs are are pretty well addressed. We, We have access to the food we need, the water we need, the shelter we need. For the most part, there's some exceptions. And so what we've done is because uh, uh, we have the needs we want, or the needs that we need, we take the word need and we apply it to wants that we have, right? So you'll be on your phone at some point today, and you're going to be looking at something, and the video that you're trying to stream through this magical place called the internet, which nobody's been able to do in the pa- uh, before 15 years ago, we can do it now, you're going to get frustrated that it's ha- taking too long, and you're going to say this expression, Man, I need a new phone. You don't actually need a new phone. You want a new phone. Uh, A couple months ago, uh, my wife came in on a Friday afternoon, and I was home with our daughter, and on that day, she takes our patented 98 Toyota Avalon to work. It's a a fine machine. And she walks in, and she's holding the rearview mirror. (laughs) And she says, I kid you not, this fell off today. 
rearview mirrors apparently can fall off. It falls off. And I said, not I can fix that, because let's be honest, after three tries, that's, it took me three tries to fix it. I did fix it. I didn't say that. I said, we need a new car. <laughs> no, we don't need a new car. I want a new car. I want a new car. You'll come home maybe today, and you'll look at your house, and you'll see that, that things are a little cramped. You're like, man, I need a new house. Now, you probably don't need a new house. You want a new house. You maybe need less stuff. That might be something to, to look into as a need. Every single one of us is on a steady diet of these kind of need-slash-want statements, these hunger pangs of desires that we have. And it looks different for each of us. Maybe it looks similar. We have materialism. We want things. I want, I need things, and if I can get more things, then my desires will be satisfied. I'll be satiated. Or I want success. I want to be successful in what I do. And that's not in and of itself bad. It's good to be uh, uh, good at what you do and to have success. That's not a bad thing. It's bad if you think that if you have success, if you just have that next level of success, if you can just get that step up, then I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. When we all know what's going to happen. You're going to climb that ladder, and the immediate moment you put your foot on that next rung, what do you do? You look at the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Some of us want to claim. We want people to talk well of us, to speak well of us. We're the best at this, and we want people to say it about us. And we think that's going to satisfy us. We think doing whatever's going to make us happy will satisfy us. The problem is we keep trying to do the things that are making us happy, and they don't actually satisfy us. Ultimately, we have a desire to be satisfied. We hunger and thirst because we want to be satisfied to fix this gnawing hunger within us. Hugh Laurie, who is an actor, he's probably most famous for his role as Dr. House, uh, was interviewed and he was asked about some of his roles and he basically said, I'm really not ever happy with any scene that I do. And, and he's a good actor. He's won, I, th I think, Emmys uh, as Dr. House. And so uh, you, you're surprised to hear him say this. And he says this, Endless dissatisfaction is, I suppose, what gets us out of bed in the morning. The writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, who is maybe Solomon, maybe somebody else, says this in verse 9 of chapter 2. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. And then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and all was a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Sounds very similar to Mr. Laurie. It sounds very similar to our lives today. The diet we're on is not actually the diet you need. We need to eat better. And I think you know that. I think you know that the moon pies that you've been sucking down from life that they've been giving you aren't quite living up to the expectations that you have for it. I think that's why you're here today. I think you're here in church, whether you started coming to church because you're this, you were this small or because you're this tall now or whatever it is, I think you're hoping that this church or some church is going to have some kind of an answer for you on what makes life worth living. What makes it not just an existence, but living, but a good, happy makarios, that's the, the Greek word for happy, 
happy life. I think the never-ending prospect of having to satisfy yourself over and over and over and over and over again is losing its luster. It's not as exciting to, to feel the hunger pangs and the lack of satisfaction in your life, that dissatisfaction you have when you get out of your bed. It used to be fun. It used to be like, oh, what am I going to tackle today? But as you grow, you're realizing it's not that fun anymore, and it stops feeling less like, man, I can't wait to go and figure out what's going to fill me today. Now it starts feeling a lot like something else, something most of us aren't acquainted with feeling. Starvation. You and I are starving for something else, something that we need, something that is not in the food that we're taking in whether it's our desires, materialism, whatever it might be, those aren't meeting that need, and we need something else, something that's going to fill us, something that's going to satisfy us. And if you doubt me, if you think I'm wrong, I want you to think about Christmas. I want you to think about what you got for Christmas. And if you are just as excited about it today as you were when you opened it on December 25th, and if you... Most of us probably aren't even able to think about what we got on Christmas Day of just this last year. We need to change our diet. We need to change our diet. There's really just one problem with it, though. We are a lot like people in Jesus' day. You know you need something different. You don't know how to get it. You don't know how to get it. You can't get the food you need. You can't get the meal that you need. So Matthew 5, 6, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He closes, he kind of adds that, that part, for righteousness. Now, have you ever been with a bunch of friends, and you're talking about where you're going to go eat, and somebody's like, well, where are we going to go? And, and nobody really has a decision, and somebody throws out something that's not remotely on your radar, but when they say it, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. They're like, let's go get tapas, and you're like, I wasn't thinking that, but that sounds amazing. Jesus' statement is a little like this. It's this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Yes, go on, tell me more for righteousness. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. But you know what? That actually sounds good. That sounds like something I might want. I might want righteousness. What is that? Tell me more. The Bible uses righteousness uh, as, as a term, and it uses it quite often. But there's really four different, word, four different meanings behind the word righteousness, depending on the context. So let's talk about this. And the way I want to talk about it is almost like an ingredient. So I want us to look at the four different types of righteousness as ingredients. And if it's prepared right, and if it's given to you right, it's going to fill you up. If it's not prepared correctly, if you get the recipe out of order, it's not going to satisfy you. It's just going to kill you. So let's look at these four different kinds of righteousness. One, there's justice and peace. Justice and peace. Look at Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32, uh, verse 17 and 18. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Where justice, social justice is taking place, the Bible calls that righteousness, where there's equity, where there's fairness, where the, the poor and the, are, are not downtrodden, where people aren't oppressed. God calls that righteousness. He says, yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's a good thing, but that's one form of righteousness. There's another called doing right deeds. Look at Job, the book of Job, which we're, our next sermon series is going to be on Job, and that's going to be awesome, super pumped. Job 
29.14, Job is talking, he's, he's sharing here, and he says, I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. Job is doing right things. He's doing things that live up to God's standards. He wants to do things to live up to God's standards. Maybe a better way to put that. Doing right actions is another way the Bible describes righteousness. There's only one problem with that. Real righteousness in your actions comes from not only doing what God wants you to do, but doing it up to the standard and with the same affection for God that God has for himself. And my hope is you're beginning to see why you can't get the food you need. Because if I have to hunger and thirst for righteousness in order to be satisfied, if getting that righteousness is going to satisfy me, I can't get it for myself because I can't live up to the standard of righteousness that God has for me. Nobody is perfect. Nobody can live up to that standard. And so what do we do? Some of us give up and live the whatever kind of life we want to, but typically what we do, because we all still want to be good people, right? We just take the standard that God has and we drop it. We lower it down and then we're like, okay, I can do that. What's funny is we don't actually live up to that standard either. The easier we make it on ourselves, the less and less likely we are to live up to even that standard. So doing righteousness, doing right deeds is another form of righteousness. Being declared righteous is the third uh, ingredient. Look at Romans 4.3. Romans 4.3. Paul's talking and it says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In the Bible, God is the one who declares people righteous. He, tells, he says, this person is righteous. He declared that Abraham was righteous. And why was Abraham righteous? Because he believed what God had told him. He took God at his word. You can't be righteous by doing things. You can't earn God's favor that way. In fact, nobody in the scriptures says that they are righteous in the same way that God is. God is the only one who can declare you to be righteous. And it always comes through faith when we believe the promises of God. For us today in the 21st century living in a post-cross world, it is when we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and was raised again that we, are, we have righteousness credited to us. That's what righteousness is in that context. Then lastly, and this is one maybe you're not familiar with, righteousness is God's saving action. Look at Isaiah 51, and I'm going to skip around a little bit in Isaiah 51. Because God's salvation is mixed in a little bit with his judgment. So I'm going to pare it down a little bit. God says in verse 5, My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. And that's called a Hebrew parallelism. You're saying the same thing, just two different ways, right? But it's the same concept. So righteousness and salvation are equals. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out. Then skip down to the end of verse 6. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Then the end of verse 8. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation will be to all generations. When God acts in a salvific way, when he moves to save his people, whether it's from their sins or deliver the Israelites from Egypt, whatever it is, God calls that his righteousness going out. He acts on behalf of his people. For us, it is God's pardon coming through Christ. When Jesus Christ dies on the cross for our sins, we are declared righteous if we believe in that sacrifice. 
And this isn't just the food you need. This righteousness isn't just the food you need. It's prepared just the way you need it. So our world takes the four ingredients of righteousness, social justice, which everybody loves social justice. Everybody's on board with that. Everybody wants a more just society. We debate about what that looks like, but for the most part, everybody wants it. And we think that's the highest good. And so what our society tells us is, okay, so the way we get social justice is everybody lives up to a certain moral standard. And that moral standard usually fluctuates based on what our culture thinks is acceptable and what is an unacceptable way of living. And so if you live up or you come close to the ballpark of meeting society's standards, you can then look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And then you declare yourself righteous, or the society around you declares yourself to be righteous. Which is all well and good, except you've just cooked the meal, and you've cooked it out of order, and you've left out a key ingredient, which is God's saving action. And that's a problem. It'd be like somebody saying, hey, I want you to come over. I've learned this new way to make chicken. I'm going to marinate it, and I'm gonna, it's going to be great. And so you come over to their house, and you're like, okay, cool. Well, I don't smell anything cooking. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the secret. We just marinated it all day, and here's your bowl of raw chicken. Thank you. Yes. Ooh. Ooh, indeed. It will not just taste bad. It will kill you. God's saving righteousness, his action on our behalf, is what cooks the righteousness for us. It makes it where we can, we can have it and we can attain it. It can be given to us through belief. We can't get it ourselves. Jesus has to be the one that prepares it for us. Romans 3.10 tells us no one is righteous, not even one. And so Jesus comes and he imparts to us righteousness if we will just believe. This meal that you need to satisfy you is only good if Jesus makes it. It's only good. And so you can be satisfied. You can be satiated. But you can't cook the meal yourself. And we have to stop trying to do it. So we need something that satisfies. But we can't get it ourselves because God is the one who prepares it for us. So what do we need to do? We need to come to Christ. And only Jesus can fill us up. Only Jesus can fill us up. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be satisfied. The satisfied is passive. It's a passive tense. We are not satisfying ourselves. It is God who is doing the satisfying for us. And so in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus often talks about people eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which freaked people out initially because they took him literally. Uh, and, and Jesus is saying, no, no, no. This is what this means. Let's look at John 6.35. John 6.35 says this, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skip to 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It sounds pretty extreme. But Jesus is making an amazing claim because he's making it to a group of people who he's just fed out of five loaves and two fish. He's just fed the 5,000, and he's making these statements. It's a, it's a practical sermon illustration, if you will. And so they're sitting here, and they're eating, and they're stuffed, and they think, so you mean to tell me if I eat of you, I'll never be hungry again? And Jesus says, yep, that's right. You'll never be hungry again. That is an amazing statement to make. You'll never desire food again. Now, he's not being literal, 
But the same thing is true for us today. If you will come to Christ, if you will dine with Him and regularly eat with Him, spend time with Him, put your faith in Him, those other things you desire, materialism, success, acclaim, whatever it is that you think is going to make you happy, you're not going to want those things anymore. Your appetite's going to change. You're going to realize that Jesus Christ is the only food you need. He's the only one that can prepare that food. He's the only one that can deliver it to you. And he's our food. And so in partaking of him, we become the righteousness of God. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. You don't need all that other stuff. Righteousness is like the one nutrient you need to survive, to live, to thrive. And Jesus can give it to you if we put our faith in him. You'll be satisfied. The word satisfied means stuffed or full. The word is literally used to describe a fattened calf. It's a very graphic term. Have you ever gone to a Mexican restaurant and eaten way too much mini chips before your meal got there? And you're like, well, I paid for this, so I guess I should finish it off. And you just clean your plate, and you kind of roll out of there later. And you're like, I regret nothing. I regret nothing. It was so good. I'm going to go to Taco Joint this afternoon. I'm literally going to do that. That is the satisfaction that Jesus offers. Fullness, wholeness, and I regret nothing. It was so good. So once you've been filled up with Christ, though, you have to keep coming back to the table. You've got to keep dining with him. Because Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the pursuit of righteousness that is satisfying. It's going after it that's satisfying. It's like a ritual act, right? So even if if you are, are hungry, even if you accepted Christ as your Savior, even if you've walked with Him, there are still seasons in our life where we, our head gets turned, right? I'm going to go home this afternoon, and in my freezer, I'm going to want a sweet thing because I have sweet tooth kind of thing. Uh, there is, in my fridge, grapes. In my freezer, there are ice cream sandwiches. What am I going to eat? The ice cream sandwich. You are correct, sir. Yes, I even know it's going to happen. Often our head is get, gets turned by junk food. So even though we, we come and we dine with Christ, our head still gets turned. We still want those things. So how can we, how can we change, uh, how, can we, how can we be satisfied on a more regular basis? One, we can change our diet. We can change our diet. We talked about this a little bit. But Matthew 6.33 tells us, uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are you feasting on? What is it that you, you want, that you desire? What is it that, and if you don't know what that is, it's, check your bank account. Check what you spend your time doing. That's what you think is satisfying, what you put your money towards. And so we come to Christ, we change what we're eating, and then we cut out the junk food. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 is kind of a funny verse out of context. It says, wake up out of your drunken stupor and stop sinning. It's part of a larger thing, but we get kind of drunk on the things that we think are going to fill us up, right? We get into a drunken stupor, so we need to cut out the junk food. We need to cut out the things that are driving us away from Christ. Success, materialism, acclaim, whatever it might be. These may make you full, but they're not going to nourish you. They're not going to give you the nutrients you need. John Owen, who was a pastor from way back in the day, is kind of famous for saying, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. It's true. We have to eradicate that from our lives, which draws us away from the table of Christ, from that which is going to satisfy us. When you're starving, the only thing you want is food. 
It's hard to get distracted from that one singular pursuit when you know you're starving. And many of us are starving, starving for Christ. So let that be your singular pursuit. And if that is your singular pursuit, then you need to come to the table. You need to come to the table. We're about to take the Lord's Supper, clearly. It's here in front of us. And this is a table for those who believe and for those who have been baptized. So, little uh, discussion, I guess, on what we think about the Lord's Supper. We believe that the Lord, in the Lord's Supper, it is a, it's a memorial. We're remembering what Christ did for us. We're rem- remembering his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But that doesn't mean, and some of you may have come from backgrounds, where you believe that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper, meaning he is present in the bread, he is present in the, in the wine or in the juice. We have juice. And so uh, that's not, we don't believe he's present in the elements. We believe that he's present in the people of God. Because G- Jesus tells us, wherever two or more are gathered, that's where I am. And so because we've come together as a church to take these elements, Christ is with us. He's with us. And he's with us because we believe. And so as you come to take these elements, first, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're just here, you're checking out the church, great, you are welcome here. We love that you're here. You're welcome to come back every single week. And I'd love to talk to you afterwards in our next steps. But this table is for those who believe. And I'd ask that you respect that. If you're not baptized yet, the history of the church is that the Lord's Supper is for those who have been baptized. The baptism is an initiation rite into the church. It's how you get your membership card, right? And then you can partake of the Lord's Supper. And so if you've not been baptized, we have a baptism service coming on September 9th. It's an opportunity for you to be baptized into the fellowship of believers, and then the table is open. You don't have to be a member of our church. If you've been baptized in another church, if you're a member of another church, you are welcome to eat at this table and remember what Christ has done for us. And as we partake of these elements, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to kind of engage in two activities. One of them is confession. Some of us have, all of us probably, have done things wrong this week. Maybe there's things that we've desired, things that we thought were going to satisfy us this week that we've chased down. This is an opportunity for you to confess to pray about it, to talk to the Lord about what it is that you've done. If there's something going on in your family, maybe an argument you've had today, I want you to, maybe before, while, as the elements are being passed, just reach over, grab a person's hand that maybe you had an argument with, say, I'm sorry. You can work out the details of what that means later, but make peace with people before you take the elements. If the person's not here, then ask that the Lord would forgive you and determine for yourself, I'm going to make up with that person later today. And then after confession, there's an opportunity for joy. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we can have life, so that we can be satisfied. This is an opportunity for us to rejoice, to be excited, to celebrate. This isn't a sad time. This is a happy time. It's a happy time. And we can take that joy and take that confession out with us to the people around us and show them what real righteousness is and how real righteousness might satisfy And so I'm about to pray, and as I pray, uh, the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to pass out the elements. You're going to get two elements. They're going to be stacked one on top of each other, bread and then cup. I guess it's cup, then bread. We're going to take the bread first, then we'll take the cup, and we'll do it as a family. So hold hold on to your items uh, so we'll take them all together, okay? Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you have blessed us with. We thank you that the meal that you've given us is yourself. You have blessed us. You've given us a gift, and it is your Son, in whom 
we can fill up on, we can, we can be satisfied because he gives us, his, he himself is our righteousness. And as a reminder of what we believe, as a reminder of our confession, he's given us this table. He's given us the bread and the cup, physical things that we can do to express a spiritual reality that we are forgiven, that we're made whole, that we are satisfied. And so we take this bread and we take this cup almost in mockery as a challenge to those things that say they're going to satisfy us. And we say, no, this is all I need. All I need is my Christ. All I need is this bread and this cup as a representation of the fact that all I need is Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that in taking this bread and this cup, we would remember, we would confess we would rejoice and we would be satisfied. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.